0: The scripture reading today is from the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 11, verses 1 through 18. You can find it printed on page 9 of your worship folder. Now the apostles and the believers who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also accepted the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticised him, saying, Why did you go to uncircumcised men and eat with them? Then Peter began to explain it to them, step by step, saying, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision. There was something like a large sheet coming down from heaven, being lowered by its four corners, and it came close to me. As I looked at it closely, I saw four-footed animals, beasts of prey, reptiles, and birds of the air. I also heard a voice saying to me, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. But I replied, By no means, Lord, for nothing profane or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But a second time the voice answered from heaven, What God has made clean, you must not call profane. This happened three times, then everything was pulled up again to heaven. At that very moment, three men sent to me from Caesarea arrived at the house where we were. The Spirit told me to go with them, and not to make a distinction between them and us. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. He told us how he had seen the angel standing in his house and saying, "'Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter.' He will give you a message by which you and your entire household will be saved. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them, just as it had upon us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said, John baptised with water, but you will be baptised with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave them the same gift that he gave us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ... Who was I that I could hinder God? When they heard this, they were silenced, and they praised God, saying, Then God has given even to the Gentiles the repentance that leads to life. The word of the Lord. Take a moment now for silent reflection.
1: Gracious God, may your word even now be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Any, uh, any sushi lovers here? Yeah? Awesome. remember my first time trying sushi. Now, a little context for you. I'm from the South, and so in the South it's, you know, deep-fried, greasy, fatty. If it's not one of those things, we really don't eat it. Um, and so I remember the first time I was talking to a friend, and my friend's like, hey, have you ever tried sushi before? I was like, "No, why would I want to do that?" He's like, "You really got to try it. It's really good. I think you'll really enjoy it." And I was like, mm, "I don't think so." And so he kind of stayed on me over time, and I was like, "Fine, I will relent. Let's go to the sushi restaurant." And so we went there, and I looked over the menu, and I was still having doubts. And I saw that they do have food that is cooked, and I was like, "I can still bail, you know, right now if I want to." But I didn't, and I ordered some sushi, and I sat down, and I tried it, and it was amazing. And I loved it. And I had a conversion moment right then. I was a sushi person (laughs) from then on. And then I remember going back and going, if I really enjoy something, then what I do is I tell my friends all about it. I share it with my community. You've got to try this. It's so good. I didn't think I would like it, but I liked it. You might like it too. And I remember going back and telling some of my friends, and they just looked at me like I was crazy. Right? You did what? Dude, what is wrong with you? Right? You know that's raw fish. I mean, why would you eat raw fish when you can batter that thing up and deep fry it, right? (laughs) And that's what we would do. As I think about this text, though, like, I mean, this is much more important than sushi, I understand. But it made me think about that experience. And it made me think about the experience that I have with people all the time, right? People who come and they meet with me. And they go, you know, Jay, I grew up in this faith or I grew up in this tradition or I grew up in this family and we had these norms and this experience. And I was taught to believe and to think and behave in this way or I didn't grow up in a church tradition, but now I'm beginning to experience God in ways that I never thought were possible. And I'm experiencing God's healing and I'm experiencing God's peace and I'm experiencing God's presence. And what I'm finding is in many ways, it's incongruent with what I knew before. And so you begin to feel this tension as you hear this story of them celebrating the freedom and the peace and the love of God in their life. And also this tension of going, do I go back? Do I tell my family? Do I tell my community? Do I tell people who I knew well? Because if I do, my fear is that I'm going to be met not with acceptance, not with openness, not with curiosity to know more, but what I'm going to be met with is judgment and critique, questioning, condemnation, right? Have you experienced that, that tension in your life before? Something shifting and changing in you, maybe in a small way or maybe in a large way. And beginning to feel that, that strain of going, what do I do with this? And what happens when I go back or back into this old community when I've experienced something new? And that's the tension, I think, that Peter and Cornelius are experiencing right now. Peter, Peter for sure. I mean, Peter grew up in the Jewish faith, the the Jewish tradition. I mean, he he was well-groomed. In fact, we see this in his vision, right? It's like, Lord, nope, not going to do that. (laughs) And so as we come to this text, I think there's just three parts of the story I'd like us to reflect upon. And one is I want to look at the questions that Peter is being asked once he goes back to Jerusalem. And what we can glean from that and what we can take from that. And then I want us to reflect on Peter's defense. The way that Peter answers these questions of accusation that he's going to encounter. And then look at the resolution, right? Of how it all kind of resolved and plays out in some ways. And what that might mean for us individually and for our community. So first, Peter being questioned. I mean, think about this experience, right? This is a beautiful moment, I mean, in the story of faith, in the story of history, in the story of the church, this is one of those beautiful, epic moments of something significant changing. Jewish and Gentiles sitting down, eating together, and sharing a meal. This was just not heard of. You have the clean encountering the unclean, right? Uh, No Jewish person would ever cross the threshold of a Gentile door and sit down and share a meal with them. And so... Peter was raised in this tradition. I mean, he was raised in this environment. His default system is to never do that. It's almost like if the building was on fire, how many of us would just run into it? No, right? It's like, that'd be crazy. That'd be stupid. Why would we do that? It would cost us everything, potentially. Does that make sense? And Peter in his tradition and his system and his upbringing and his family values and his cultural values and his religious identity his religious spirituality, everything taught him, you never do that. And so, for him to experience something new in that way, for him to begin to move or consider or question, that means a certain change had to happen in his life. And we'll look at that in a moment. So, this beautiful thing has happened, and Peter is coming back to Jerusalem, and you know that he knows there's gonna be questions, right? I mean, the report's gone ahead of him, people are gonna ask. And he's got this mix, I'm sure of joy and celebration and probably dread. <laughs> you know, something great has happened and now there's these Jewish circumcised leaders that are waiting for him. And he's going to be called into the principal's office in some sense and he's going to have to give an account. And at this point he might not even quite have it all figured out of what has happened. And what am I going to say? This is so new. This is so different. This is so unexpected in so many ways. And sure enough, Peter gets to Jerusalem and what happens? In verse three, it says this, Peter, why did you go to the uncircumcised men and eat with them? I mean, these are people that know Peter. They know Peter's faith. They know his life. They have all the answers to all the questions. And in the text here, it's not a question of openness. I mean, there's one approach they could have had that said, Peter, Tell us what happened. I mean, this is amazing, right? We just heard this report that Gentiles are now included, that God has moved out into the world in new and amazing ways. Like, how did it go down? <laughs> what happened? Let's celebrate together. But that's not what happened. It was a tone of criticism, it was a tone of judgment, it was a tone of critiquing. We've all experienced this in our life, right? We've all done this to other people. We've got our mind made up before we even ask the question. And it's more of a trial than a curiosity. Here, Peter is faced with compromising his religious, spiritual, cultural, and communal identity. And he has transgressed his tradition. He's transgressed his institution. He's transgressed the establishment that he was raised in. And before we get too hard on the people that are asking questions, because I think that's really easy to do, right? We know the whole story, the whole text. It's easy to go, guys, can you just open your minds a little bit? (laughs) I mean, think about what just happened. Think about the story that you just heard. People that you were cut off from, people that you weren't allowed to associate with or be with or be in fellowship or community with. The walls has come down. This is all new and all possible now. And yet, when I think about this story, one of the things I'd love for us to reflect on this morning is that we have more in common with these Jewish people asking the questions, I think, than, than we know. Because we, each of us, we discriminate in some way. Right? Each of us have been grown and raised in a home or a family or a culture or a tradition that has taught us implicitly and explicitly in some ways that there is a clean and that there's an unclean, right? Who we associate with and who we don't associate with, whose who's home we are allowed to go into and whose home we're, we really shouldn't go into, right? One of the illustrations I think about this is if you were to just take a, a cup of, of hot water and you were to steep a tea bag in that hot water for five minutes, and then take the teabag out of it. No matter where you taste from that cup, right, you're gonna taste the flavor of that teabag because it's just been steeped with that flavor. Does that make sense? And listen, we are the same way. Our upbringing is the same way. We have all been steeped in something. Our family values, our cultural norms, our subcultures, our faith traditions. Maybe you didn't grow up in a faith tradition, But we've learned and we've been taught how we should see ourselves, and how we should see other people, how we should relate to God, how we should relate to the community. And there's so much implicit bias in all of that. What what emotions are okay to feel and not to feel? What does it look like to be successful? Who to look up to and model your life after? Who to look down on and judge and critique? And question, What does acceptance look like? If you want to be valuable, then have a certain waist size or a certain appearance or a certain education or a certain income, right? Make sure your kids go to the right preschool and middle school and high school so they can get into the right college and be successful. Status, 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 status. Do they have a job? Are you employed? Are you unemployed? What kind of job do you have? Is it good enough? Who have you been taught to listen to? And ignore. How do you judge people based on their race, their ethnicity, their orientation, their social status, whether they're young or they're old? And a lot of times we just live and move and act in life, and these things, it's like they're just steeped in us, and we're so blind and aware to them. And then all of a sudden, in some moment, we're confronted with them. Why do you fear the people you fear? Why do you get anxious around the people that you get anxious around? And how has your story cultivated that in you? Does that make sense? And here we have Peter, whose story has cultivated everything in him to never go into the house of a Gentile. And as we're going to see in a moment, he has an experience so that presses him forward into doing that. And so maybe this is a time in in your life, or later on today, or maybe in your community group, or maybe with friends that you trust, that you can begin to explore this idea. Who have I been taught that is the Gentile? Who have I been taught that is the person that's out of bounds, or that I shouldn't relate to, or that I shouldn't move towards? Because of whatever reason, right? Right? And what would it look like for God to move inside of us, maybe in the same way that God moved in Peter, and to experience something new, something rewarding, something life-giving? Because as we're going to see in this story, there is no discrimination between us and them. There is now no unclean. And here's the real kicker behind all this. Each one of us in this room, we are somebody's unclean. You have been projected on, you've been thought about, not because of something that you've done or who you are, but because of the experience that another person has had with someone else. And now you get to live out that reality, that unreflected, unnamed reality. And so we've all experienced rejection. We've all experienced being marginalized. We've all experienced the pain and the hurt and the loneliness of not being seen of not being respected, of not realizing that we, each one of us here, and each person in our city and our community is a person that is made in the image of God and is meant to be seen and known and loved and experienced and respected. Does that make sense? We are so like these questioners in so many ways. It's our shadow side. Let's focus on the good part, not on this, but friends, it's important for us to focus on this. And to reflect upon it, because God has something for us in these moments and in these reflections. So that's the first part, the questions. The second part now, let's look at Peter's defense. First, we hear, uh, then Peter began to explain it to them, saying, step by step. You know you feel a little bit on the defense when somebody asks you a question And your response is, you want to go step by step to kind of explain everything to them, right? Let me make sure that you get the whole story of what happened. Because I'm going to try to convince you in this moment that what I experienced is something that's good. So this, and then this, and then this, and then this. And you want to make sure you don't leave anything out, hoping that they're convinced. You know what's fascinating here, though, is Peter doesn't give a theological answer to them. I mean, Peter can go back and he can look at, you know, the Old Testament and begin to show some themes of, look, here's what God's promise really says. God's promise isn't just for Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. It's not just for these covenants along the way, but it's for all people. It's for everyone. And so we can celebrate in the reality that this experience is coming new, right? That God is on the move in a significant way. Peter doesn't do that. Peter shares his experience with them the story with them. Peter says, I was praying and I had a vision. And this sheep came down from heaven. And all these animals on it that I'm taught, that I've been taught my whole entire life that are unclean, that I shouldn't kill, that I shouldn't touch, that I shouldn't eat. All of a sudden now, God is saying to me, kill and eat. And we see his default drive right then, right? I mean, he has the audacity to say no to God. How about that? <laughs> no. And God says, Peter, what I have made clean is no longer unclean. And it takes three times, three lessons, right, to get that in Peter. And then Peter tells them the rest of the story. It's not just that, and so I win, and here's what happened. And Cornelius sent people, and the Spirit is moving on both sides, orchestrating this. And then at the end of it, the same Spirit that came upon us, that redefined everything for us, and how we relate to God in the world is the same spirit that came upon this household, this Gentile household. And it changed everything for them. There's no distinction. There's no differences. It's hard to deny, right? In some ways. But the thing I want to focus on on this part of the text is what had to happen to Peter in order to get him to cross the threshold. I mean, what had to happen to Peter in order for him to be moved towards people that were so radically different than him in some ways? What compelled him to do that? And what compelled him was his experience of God. Now, am I saying that we should all wait until we get a vision from God? I don't think so. I think we might be waiting a very long time. But one of the things I love here is, pe- is Peter cultivated this expectation of experiencing God. People, Peter built these norms into his life to make himself available to experience what God might have for him. And I think visions at this time in history and the way that God was moving gets more normal than it is now in some places, in some areas. But I think it's important for us in some sense to take Peter's lead in this. Because if we are going to have... If we're going to risk, in many ways, moving into people that are different than us and loving them the way that God loves them, then we need to have an experience of God's love, right? Then we can become one beggar showing another beggar where to find food in some sense. And so how do we cultivate that? And I'm not advocating here that, well, let's just come up with our religious checklist then. let's pray and let's... Read our Bible and let's open up our app and do our daily devotion on our app and let's attend church on Sunday. I think those are wonderful things to do, right? But checklist relationships don't really work that well, you know? You know that, right? Do a checklist relationship with your friend or your spouse or your significant other and see how far it takes you. Well, honey, I said hello today. Here's your meal. Good night. <laughs> Fulfilled my obligation. No. Right? It's being open. It's being intimate. It's talking. It's praying. It's paying attention to your body. It's encountering other people and what God might say through other people. It's a dialogue. It's a conversation. It's sitting and making space to hear something new and experience God in a way that fills us. So that we can move into the life of other people with this same goodness of who God is. If we truly want to move beyond ourselves, it's not because we're going to conjure something up. It's not because we're going to run into a building that's on fire. It's because something is going to shift inside of us that gives us the courage and the vision and the hope that things ought to be different than how they really are right now. And so what would it look like for us individually or as a community or as a family or with our kids or with your friends to not get caught up in the busyness of just the city or the busyness of life or the attention that everything is trying to pull for you to notice and pay attention to get caught up in, but to create space to slow down where we hear from God, where we experience God's presence in our own life. And then lastly, I just want to look quickly at their response and what that means for us and for our community. Verse 18, when they heard this, they were silenced. And they praised God, saying, Then God has given even to the Gentiles the repentance that leads to life. I just find this fascinating in many ways. So here they are. They they begin critical. They begin oppositional. And something along the, along the way happens where they change their disposition based off of Peter's experience. Based off of hearing the story and the experience of someone else, it begins to change and disrupt something inside of them. It begins to create more of an openness inside of them. And this is what human experience does, right? A lot of times we can go in and try to argue something or try to compel somebody with some sort of intellectual argument and we feel more disconnected or more, just more angry walking away from that. But if we are open to hearing and to listening to the experience of another person, God moves. God seems to move in that way. He begins to loosen things inside of us and inside of other people. And that happened here with the people that are asking Peter these questions. Something changed inside of them. And so at the end, it wasn't critique, it wasn't judgment, it wasn't trying to rope him back in or conform him or get him back in line, it was celebration. We've seen what's happened. We've been open to hearing. And this type of transformation that happens is something that is so good and is meant to be celebrated. It's true. The, the walls have come down. Now, they're going to need this reminder later on <laughs> because they're going to forget just like we forget. And we're going to need to re-experience and re-see and re-hear because we're not perfect in so many ways. But there's an openness that they have. And one of the things that I love about our community, I think as I just read this text and thought about our church and what this means for our context, I'm deeply proud to be a part of this community. To be here with you. Because I see this, li- this played out not only in our community, but in our city and the way we engage people. Um, you might not see it, I mean, I'm sure you see it with one another. I think as a pastor, there's a certain privilege that I get to see Behind closed doors or conversations that are happening. But I'm here to celebrate. I mean, we are a people seeking to cross the threshold of doorsteps that are not like us. And I see it happening every Sunday. I see it happening through the week with people handing out worship folders, with people going and going down to the children's ministry and being with kids people validating parking with people coming and sitting next to people who are different than them and small groups and support groups people going to city hope and participating and not just in those sort of fixed spheres but in life and in work i mean you can go to work and you can just you can just focus and concentrate on work and know, and have nothing to do with the people that are next to you but people sharing stories of sitting down of listening of being open to, of hearing the story and the the pain and the experience of other people and walking with them through that, being present and faithful with them through that, not changing it for them, right, but being available to them. I mean, it's pretty remarkable, I think, in many ways, how our church has grown in these areas. And so I want to celebrate that with you. And I also want to encourage you Keep leaning into this type of relationship. Keep pressing forward. Keep doing the hard work of reflecting and wondering. When you feel this sense of, I don't know that I want to do that. You know, to reflect, where's that coming from? Is that just discomfort? Is that something that you've been taught? Right? Maybe that's a moment that God has for you. Because when we begin to listen to one another... Listen to people that are different than who we are. Listen to people that are different than the experiences that we begin to share. There's such a richness that comes from that. And there's such a beauty that we begin to see. And that the community begins to see. And that the city begins to see. And they begin to question, how is it that people that are so different, that think so differently from one another, that experience life so differently, that were raised so differently, can get together in one room and love and have compassion and empathy towards one another and celebrate. That's such a powerful, powerful experience for someone to see. And that's what Jesus says. They will, know, they will know you by your love. People will know me by seeing and witnessing that type of miracle in us. And I just want to say this. If you're here today, and maybe this is your first time visiting, or maybe you've been visiting for a while, and you've been checking out City Church, I just want to name the courage that it takes to cross the threshold for you to come here with all of the anxiety it takes to walk through a door and all the courage it takes to come into a place that's new and that's different. And that we are glad that you're here and that you have all the space that you need to be where you are, to watch if you just want to watch, to participate where you feel comfortable participating. But this is a place for you to belong even if you believe differently than we do. It's a place for you to ask questions. And we, we just want to get to know you as a person, as your story, okay? And so thank you for taking the courage to step in and to, to engage our community. And friends, my hope is that as we look at this text, as we leave today, as we reflect upon it, that we'd be open to hearing what God's Spirit might be saying to us and how it, what it looks like to continue to cultivate these types of relationships. Let's pray. Gracious God, thank you that your your love does not discriminate, that your moving towards people is not discriminatory, that because of your love and your work in our lives and in this world, that there's no more racial superiority, there's no more cultural superiority, moral superiority or any other type of superiority, you've, you've leveled the playing field. That each person we see and we encounter is a person that is made in your image, that is deeply loved by you, that we are deeply loved by you. Help us to embrace this reality more fully and to live that out in our relationship with you and with others. We pray this in Christ's name, amen.